And let's please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And we've had quite a long journey in the book of Daniel. We're coming down the home stretch, as they say. Last Sunday, we finished Daniel 11, and we begin to look at the end times and how the Antichrist will behave, especially in the beginning of what we refer to as the tribulation time. In the book of Daniel chapter 9, it was introduced to us as Daniel's 70th week, just a little bit of review material in that way. Today, we begin chapter 12, which specifically focuses on the last half of that tribulation time. So please understand the timing of it. We're in the end times. It's a prophetical passage. And again, I'll remind you, we are looking through the glass darkly, right? So we we only know what the scriptures told us about those type of things. But some of this is is worth our time and attention. We're going to slow down a bit, make sure we understand the the particulars of the passage. I do think there are a few practical thoughts we'll try to bring home. Hopefully that will be a help to you also. Today we're going to cover the first part, verses 1 to 4. I would entitle this in an outline. I would call this, Shut Up the Book, and you'll see why when we get to verse 4. And then the last half of the chapter is how long? And I think we're still asking that question even now, right? (laughs) Perhaps if you're going through a rough time, Lord, how long? How long until we hear that trumpet sound? So chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. Back in chapter 10, we were introduced to the idea that there are angelic beings that oversee various nations. In, uh, in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, we see there are angelic beings or angels that oversee churches. Uh, we read in Matthew 18 where the little ones have angels that stand before the face of our Father in heaven and represent them, if we can say it like that. Uh, so here we see Michael, is the, he is the archangel. He's described like that in the book of Jude. But he is designated to watch over the people of Israel. And if the people of Israel are going to war, then there is also something stirring in the spiritual realm. So that means here lately Michael's been quite busy. Amen. But he says, The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble. This is where we get the word tribulation. I'm going to show you some verses now in Matthew 24 where that word is actually used, tribulation. But there shall be a time of trouble. Now watch the wording here carefully. Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. Let that sink into your ears for a moment. I don't know if you're much of a student of history, but there have been some horribly atrocious times when it comes to tribulations and wars, and it's been bad. Jesus, or the, the, the Bible says here, and Jesus will repeat it, the worst time ever. The worst time ever. That's quite a statement. We'll, we'll look more at that in a moment. And then at the end of the verse it says, And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be, uh, shall be found written in the book. All right, so let's talk about a couple of, of things here. Um, get Revelation, please, chapter 12. Just a quick reminder, we won't linger on this. Revelation chapter 12, and it, uh, forgive me, I didn't mention to keep Daniel, I hope that you did. I just want to compare a couple of things with the timing aspect of this. Alright, so Daniel 12, we just read that there will be a time of trouble. 
Revelation 12, look with me at verse 6. In this particular passage, the nation of Israel is represented by a woman. It says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now that's 1,260 days. That's the equivalent of 42 months. And then look at Revelation 12, verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. That time, times, and half a time. Right? You can see the, the Bible interprets itself. Time, times, and half a time equals 1,260 days, which is 42 months, which is three and a half years. Okay? You find this same wording, time, times, and half a time. That also shows up in Daniel 7 and verse 25. Come back to Daniel 12, and let me show you why I'm giving you that timing aspect. Daniel 12, look at verse 6. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and in half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So the Antichrist is going to chase the holy people, the Jews, for three and a half years. He's going to try to exterminate all of them. Can you not see the politics of the world kind of pushing towards such an attitude and that type of a posture? We can see how this would be very possible. So that's the timing of it. We're looking at those last three and a half years of that tribulation time. All right, uh, continue to hold Daniel 12. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark 13. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. And let's address for a moment this issue of in this three and a half year time, it'll be the worst time the world has ever seen. The worst tribulation yet. Mark 13. Let's begin reading in verse 14. Jesus is answering the question about the end times and what will be the sign of his coming and all of everything that goes with that. In verse 14, but when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. We've been studying that. Daniel chapter 8, Daniel 11. We'll see it again in chapter 12. Standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Right, do you remember reading in Revelation 12 where it said the woman had to flee to a place? There it is. There it is. Let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Those mountains are located in Sila Petra, down in Bozrah. We would call it Saudi Arabia today. They run down that way. Verse 15, And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction. I know in Daniel it's at a time of trouble. In Matthew 24, which is the sister passage to this, it says there should be great tribulation. Right? So those words are synonyms. For in those days shall be affliction, watch it, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Now that, that tells us quite a lot. What's going to happen? 
Throughout the seven years is bad, right? The first three and a half years, it's no picnic. But the last three and a half years, it starts with the Antichrist being assassinated. Then he is raised from the dead through the power of, of the devil. And he then makes the proclamation, I am God. He walks into the temple and says that he's God and forces the world to worship him. And from that point on, he begins a vicious attack on anybody that doesn't agree with him, ends up with forcing people to take the mark of the beast in their right hand or in their forehead. And Jesus says this is going to be the worst since the beginning of the creation. Now, there is a particular approach to this, this uh, portion of Scripture and to the book of Revelation and to all things prophetical. Forgive me, the, the term, I'll, I'll introduce it to you. It's called preterism, which simply means that some people believe all of the things we're reading in Mark 13, Matthew 24, the book of Revelation, all of those things have already happened. They, they've already taken place. They were prophetical when Jesus said it, but by 70 A.D., everything had been fulfilled. Now, I'm just telling you what it is. We're not going to go through all the various things that go with preterism. But if that's the case, let's just think for a moment about what Jesus said in verse 19. If everything has already been fulfilled in 70 AD as it pertains to this passage, that means 70 AD, when Jerusalem was destroyed, because it was in 70 AD, that was the worst thing the world's ever seen. Since the creation of the world, 70 AD, I, what happened in 70 AD was hectic to say the least. It, it was bad. Okay? The, the, the Romans attacked Israel. What they called the siege of Jerusalem lasted four months, three weeks, and four days. April the 14th to 8th September. 1.1 million Jews died in that short amount of time. So that's pretty bad. Let's, let's call it like it is. That's horrible. But is it the worst ever? I, I don't know if you could say that. I, I think if you look at World War II, you, you have 6 million Jews that died there. 22 million died in the war. The argument is sometimes made, well, the siege of Jerusalem was in a short time and World War II took you know, several years. But remember, we're dealing with a three and a half year period. Jesus is not referring to the siege of Jerusalem that took four months. He's saying that that last three and a half years is going to be the worst, so we can't limit it to one particular event. 1.1 million people to, to die in a siege, that's bad. But if you look in, in the 1940s, there was something called the siege of Leningrad. 1.5 million people died in that siege. So if we're just going to look at the numbers, wouldn't that be worse than the siege of Jerusalem. So when we're talking about it's going to be the worst thing ever since, cre since the creation, that's got to be a big event. All right, so let's, let's think this through a little further. Would this include Noah's flood? It's going to be the worst affliction from the creation. And nothing will ever equal this destruction, this trouble. That means Noah's flood is not, it wasn't as bad as this. Wow. That's a huge statement. So how could that be possible? Well, I think there are a few things you want to factor in. When, when God decided to flood the world, he went to Noah, right? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he said, Noah, I'm giving, I'm giving the people 120 years. So you have a 120-year warning. If you want to repent, you can. That's a lot of mercy. That's a lot of mercy. 
And the, the sinners in the tribulation will not have that type of offer. Right? The Antichrist rises, the attack comes, and they don't have 120 years to make up their mind on that. In the flood, we, of course, everybody, everything died except for those in the ark. Right? But, but one day there was no rain, no flood waters. The next day, the fountains of the deep were broken up and the rain is coming down, right? And, and it just happened. But for th- that's different than three and a half years, somebody chasing you and you have to hide and duck and dodge from the Antichrist and people are being tortured for three and a half years. That's a, a slower and more painful death. Numerically, who's to say? I don't know how many people were there in the days of Noah. So I can't say if more people died in the flood than what will die during the tribulation. But if you look at the numbers that are given in the book of Revelation, in chapter 6 it'll say something like a fourth of the inhabitants of the world die. And then in chapter 9 a third of the inhabitants die. And it gives us those proportions. By the time you get to the middle of the tribulation, you've already lost half the planet. That's just by the middle that's not counting what happens in the last three and a half years. So guys, we're, we're talking, if that were to happen today, there was approximately 8 billion people, 4 billion. That time is going to be incredibly bad. So to say that the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD fulfills the prophecy of Jesus here, we would have to say that the siege of Jerusalem was the worst thing, the worst war, the worst trouble the world's ever seen. I can't make that statement. I cannot in good conscience believe that. When we see the events mentioned in Revelation, they, they grossly outweigh what happened in the past. All right. So let me ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 8 while we're in the New Testament here. Because we read in Daniel how the people of Israel, it says, uh, at, the, at that time thy people shall be delivered. So the nation of Israel will be saved by, by the Lord coming back. But I want to be clear on this because, again, there's some confusion. There are some that believe every Jew in the world ends up saved. And and, and they believe that just because they came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it automatically saves them. And and that would be a a big mistake. That's not true. You can be Jewish and not be saved. So we have to see this in two different ways. Sometimes God deals with people as a nation, as a people group. And then at other times, he deals with them as individuals. Right? And we even have that designation in the book of Job. It says that God can hide his face from a nation or from a person. So we see that, that biblically, that is a designation. Now, Matthew 8, let's look together at verse number 11 and 12. Matthew 8, verse 11 and 12. He says, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down from a, uh, with, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There's coming a day when you and I, we're coming from the east and the west. These are Gentiles. We are going to sit down in the kingdom. This is a physical, political kingdom. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be resurrected. We will sit with them in that kingdom. Can you imagine? And break bread. Imagine saying to Abraham, Como brai? That's the promise. What a tremendous promise. Verse 12, but the children of the kingdom. That was one way of referring to Jews. They are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, biologically, right? And the promise was given to the nation 
that God would establish this worldwide kingdom through them. So the children of the kingdom shall be what? Cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is warning the Jews, don't depend on your Jewishness as entrance into the kingdom. It won't be enough that you have a physical heritage that links you to them. There's a spiritual component. You need to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. All right, come to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. So how many of you remember this passage in while you find Romans 11, you remember this in Luke 16? There was a rich man that fared sumptuously every day, clothed in purple. And there was a poor man outside, that, outside the door there named Lazarus. And he begged for the bread that fell from this man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. And the Bible says one day the rich man died and was buried. The beggar also died. The Bible says that the angels carried the soul of that beggar to paradise. I shouldn't point up. It was at that point in the earth. But the Bible tells us that that rich man, he lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torments. What did he say? What was the first thing out of his mouth? Huh? Father Abraham. Now, I know we've made that into a kid's song. Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons had Father Abraham. And I'm one of them. And so, I mean, we, it's a fun song. So let's just praise the Lord right hand, left. Or I, I don't know how it goes. I'm making it up. <laughs> I think it's something like that. Okay, so it's a fun song, but when the rich man says, Father Abraham, he is a Jew. And he's in hell. So right away, there's you an, an example that not all Jews make it into paradise. Some of them do end up being punished for their sins eternally. Now, Romans 11, let's look at verse 25 and 26. Romans 11, verse 25 Paul says, speaking here to people groups, please know that. He's not talking to individuals. He's talking to Gentiles about Jews as groups. Verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part, not fully, in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. When's that going to happen? At the end of the tribulation. The time of the Gentiles will be done then. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So you see people cling on to the first part of verse 26. Uh, 26 sorry, All Israel shall be saved. Yes, this is true, but as a nation. As a nation. The, the nation gets delivered from the consistent attack of the Antichrist and they're allowed to come back into their land and have their kingdom. All right, let's come back now to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. At the end of verse number one, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So now we're going to focus our attention on a particular group of people that are going to be delivered. At the end of that tribulation time, it says, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Well, what about the Jews? What about not even, less, not even limited to Jews? Because by this point, there will be believers in Christ at the end of that tribulation time. They've missed the rapture, but they were converted afterwards, and they will be martyred during that time. 
shall they be delivered out of it? it, it we kind of would think, well, no, they, they lost their lives. But watch what happens in verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So true, they did not physically make it through that time. We acknowledge that. But they are resurrected when Jesus comes back and they get to live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. I'm going to show you that just now. It says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So now a statement about resurrection is given. And as you can see, there are two parts to this. So I, we don't uh, necessarily want to take time to dig deep into the subject of resurrection. I want to make it through a few more items today. But let's talk about the resurrection for a moment. Come to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Because Jesus rose again, he is the first fruits of them that slept. It, it proves to us beyond any shadow of a doubt there will be a resurrection. A, a, a final resurrection. And uh, you can be raised one of two ways. Let's say to one or two outcomes. John chapter 5, let's begin reading at verse 27. John 5 and 27. It says, And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. The Father has given authority to Jesus to perform the judgment. Why? He's the Son of Man. Jesus came down and lived as a man. Therefore, he has the right... To stand before you and I as human beings and say, now I was there. And I know that you can overcome those sins. I know that there's no excuse. I was tempted in all points like as you were, yet without sin. So there's where Jesus gets that, uh, uh, the right to do that. In verse 28, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Okay, so don't be surprised. We've been waiting to hear that voice for a long, long time. Centuries and centuries have passed waiting for that voice. Not everybody hears the voice at the same time. And, and that's what's important to realize. Jesus, in, in this passage, is not teaching us about the timing of the resurrections. He's simply saying, I will have authority to judge, and you are all going to eventually be raised and have to stand at that judgment. So he's not indicating when precisely they'll rise, but one day you will. One day you will. That's his point. Verse 28, marvel not at this, the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good, which is a very general statement, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So one of two outcomes. Jesus is making broad statements here because he's not trying to teach the details of these resurrections and their judgments. He's just saying these two things are going to happen. There's two groups, and you need to choose which side you want to be on. So let's get a little more about the timing of this. Come to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. You say, preacher, I thought the Bible says that we'll be resurrected at the last day. Your last day and my last day might be different. <laughs> it's the last day of your corruption, right? So when you, when you read through the Bible and you let the Bible speak within its context, you always take a verse in its context. You don't just grab a verse and wave it around and say, aha, this proves it. You've got to get its context. 
there are actually seven different resurrections in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 15, Paul even says, every man in his own order, when he's talking about resurrection, there is an order to these events. Christ the firstfruits, then they which are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end. So clearly there are different times when people will be raised. Now this passage brilliantly divides it for us. Revelation 20 verse 4, let's begin there. 20 verse 4, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, that's the Antichrist, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. All right, now stop right there for a moment. These people, these are the ones that will be martyred during the tribulation. Do you understand why I say that? Because they are the ones that resisted the beast and didn't take the mark. We're not even offered the mark at this point. It wasn't the vaccine. Right? It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. We're getting there. Right? The world's getting us there. But that wasn't it. Okay? But these are the people that die in the tribulation. But watch. It, it says at the end of the verse, and they lived and reigned with Christ for how long? thousand years. All right. So forgive me. I'm going to use my hands as the timetable here. We're, we're moving along. Here's the cross over here. We're moving along. This is called the church age. And then one day we're going to hear a loud trumpet sound. Praise God. The Lord shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If we're not so, I would have told you. He said, and if I go, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Praise God, one day we shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed. We go up in the rapture. All that's about the rapture. While we're going up, the world's getting ready to go in. We're going up, they're going in. To a time of trouble like never before, and never, nothing this bad will ever happen again. They're heading for that. And that's where these people in verse 4 they get beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. You want to be saved in this time? It'll cost you your life. My advice is get saved now. Get saved today if you're not. But those people get in and boy, it gets tough. And they can die in that time. Now while we're up in heaven, the world goes through seven years of tribulation. It gets worse and worse as time goes on. At the end of those seven years, we come back from heaven following Jesus, riding on white horses. Praise God. I know we got new bodies. I know we have them because I don't know how to ride a horse. I've told you for years, I'm going to get a unicorn so I have something to hold on to. I, I, know, I, I, I know the physics of that doesn't work. It's way out there. I know, but g give me my, my training wheel, okay? We're coming down, and when we come down, then Jesus steps off his horse and squashes the enemy. The battle of Armageddon is fought. King of kings, Lord of lords. He is crowned king of the world. And then he lives and he reigns for a thousand years on this earth. The earth, after a thousand years, flees away. That's verse number 11. But we're here on this earth for a thousand years. And if you are saved and faithfully serve him now, you can live and reign with him for a thousand years. That's what's going to happen to these folks. All right, now look at verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years, the thousand, not a thousand, not just a thousand. Did, did you hear it? 
Not just a thousand. We're not just talking about a long time. It's specific. The thousand. They lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. First resurrection is back there. If you rise up before the thousand years, you're part of the first resurrection. But if you wait for that second one, that one at the end, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Who says, better to get in on that part. Have part in the first resurrection. Because if you come up in the second one, you're over here in verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Come on down to verse 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That happens after the thousand years. And we see the timing of that clearly in verses 5 and 6. All right, so let's come back now to Daniel chapter 12. And without spending, we could go on and on talking about the resurrection. It's a deep subject. Let me put out a couple of facts for this. If you are a Jew from the Old Testament, you were promised that if you lived righteously, that is, you did what you could with the light that God had given you, right? They didn't have the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They didn't have it. Were there prophecies about it? Sure. Did they understand those? No. Absolutely not. They couldn't have. They couldn't have. You say, how do you know? Because the disciples of Jesus, after he rose from the dead, still didn't know. The nation of Israel didn't see it as you and I see it now. We have the benefit of hindsight. Amen. But those Jews in the Old Testament, they were given a promise. You walk with God according to the light he's given you. Then he, you are just and you shall live. What's the promise? You're going to come up in the resurrection. And you're going to rise up as a mighty army. Ezekiel chapter 37. The dry bones are going to come together. And who would have ever thought that these bones so dry out there in the valley could ever be raised up a mighty army. But, but God says bones come together and then breathe upon the bones and then the bones come and then life comes in and Israel will be raised at the beginning of those thousand years. The righteous Jews from the Old Testament are looking for that. Okay? That's, that's the resurrection they want. If they were wicked, they have to wait until that final resurrection, and then they face that horrible judgment, and they end up in damnation. There's two parts to that. Okay, D Daniel chapter 12. Now, we've gotten a little bit deep. I hope that's okay. Advanced discipleship. If you've got more questions, we deal with it. Well, in discipleship in general. But verse number two. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Right? Two parts to the resurrection don't even happen at the same time. But people will rise up. Now verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. All right, who are the wise ones? Well, look at chapter 11. Look at chapter 11, verse 33. Chapter 11, verse 33. And they that understand among the people shall do what? Instruct many. You know what they are? I'll put modern day term on it. Soul winners. These are people during the persecution that are going out telling people, repent, the kingdom's at hand. Get ready, Jesus is coming. 
Don't follow that guy. He's the Antichrist. They are instructing many. Look at chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 10. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. They know what's coming, and they know what it will take to stand in that time. And they will, back to chapter 12 and verse 3, they that turn many to righteousness. How do you turn a man to righteousness? You say, listen, friend, what you're doing there is wrong. What you're trusting is wrong. The one you're following is wrong. Here's the path of righteousness. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and we instruct people. This is a verse about soul winners. Did you know, um, we talk about chetayinus, right? We go out on Saturdays, we go out on Thursdays. We do chetayinus, we witness. Jesus said, when the Holy Ghost comes, you shall be witnesses unto me, right? You know where that word comes from? The Greek word for witness, martyr. Because in the early church, to go witness, think about it. You don't go handing out tracts. You don't go telling people like that. You died for that. I'm going to talk about it more during the sermon, so I'll leave out the comments for, for now. But these people are going to be turning many to righteousness. Now, it's not like there's a worldwide revival or anything, but there are going to be people getting saved during that tribulation time because there are going to be people preaching and, and giving people the gospel. All right, so verse 3 says, They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And it says, as the stars forever and ever. So take your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me move quickly here. I want to make sure I have enough time for the final point to this. But 1 Corinthians 15, I've, I, can I put forth a, um, a maybe? Okay. I want to give you a Bible verse for my maybe. I'm not saying this is a definite, just a maybe. In the resurrection, now this is a definite thing. In the resurrection, we have a glorified body. You know that, yes? Okay, the Bible clearly teaches that. You have a new body, and it is a resurrection body, just like the one Jesus had when he rose from the dead. However, it says they will shine as the firmament and as the stars. Just wondering, just wondering, if you were a soul winner, maybe in the resurrection, your glorified body glows a little brighter. Let your light so shine before men. Okay, so if you do it now, you'll have it shining then. If you don't do it now, well, you'll still be there. You'll be part of the resurrection, but you'd just be a little dim. <laughs> that's my maybe, okay? That's my maybe. I can't prove that. Please, please don't go around saying that's a doctrinal point of Bible Baptist Church. I don't, it's not like part of our fundamentals of the faith. It's just a maybe. But if you don't shine so bright when we fly up to heaven, we'll know. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse uh, 41. He's, he's, Paul is explaining here the resurrection body, by the way. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. Well, there's your firmament. Huh. He says, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Hmm. I'm just saying, hmm. Okay. I, I'm not saying, there you go. It's not an aha, okay? It's just, hmm. I wonder. <laughs> it's one of those beard scratchers. So grow a beard and scratch it for a while. I just, it, it could be. All right, come back to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Perhaps I can preach just for a moment about that, though. I will say, a soul winner generally does ha have a bit of a glow about him. I'm not talking resurrection. I'm talking now. There's just something about somebody 
that has the boldness to go and tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you just have a glow about you. You do. I mean, there's, there's something so tremendously joyful about sharing the good news with other people. So I just want to encourage you, any chance you get to do it, don't be scared, don't hold back, have boldness, as Paul said, to preach the gospel. Daniel 12, let's get verse 4. This is a tough one here. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. Now that phrase is always used when you're talking about seeking for something, to and fro. The devil goes to and fro. Remember that in Job 1? Satan comes before the Lord and the Lord says, where have you been? He says, I've been going up and down in the earth, walking to and fro in it. He's looking for something. You, you get to the New Testament, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, you know what he's looking for. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for something. All right, so in the end, it says, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. We have seen an explosion of knowledge in the field of science, specifically, in all the sciences, technological and so forth, to the point where we're pretty soon going to have to start talking about artificial intelligence and transhumanism. I don't know if you've heard that term, but how they are now trying to update the human body and our physiology, trying to change that and, and, and include, let's say, robotic parts to take you ab to above human, to, to, to transcend our human limits. Knowledge shall be increased. Well, we've hit that part. We're there. But you know what he says in verse 4? Shut up the words and seal the book. All right, Daniel. I've given you probably, pound for pound, the greatest bit of prophecy any man has ever been told. Now, don't tell anyone. <laughs> How, Lord, <laughs> please let me go shout it from the housetops. Now, obviously, Daniel wrote it down. Okay, we have it. And this, I don't think the Lord is saying, don't talk about it. But he's, unlike us, we were told to do what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Don't hold this information back. Let everybody know about it. All right, Daniel is not given that command. Can he write it down? Can he talk about it? Sure. But he, is, he doesn't have this commission to disseminate, to distribute this information as far and as fast as he can. Why? It's not the time of the end. This stuff would not be helpful at that particular time. But, come to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, alright, so we have reached the time where people are running to and fro and knowledge is being increased. We're in that time now, so the book of Daniel doesn't need to be shut up anymore. Revelation 22, look at verse 10. He saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You know what the book of Revelation does? It's the key that unlocks the book of Daniel. And it says now, all that stuff Daniel was talking about, it is relevant. By the time you get to Revelation, <clears throat> we are only, at most, one generation away from the Lord coming back. Every Christian, since Jesus went back to heaven, every Christian has thought the Lord could come back in my time. And if not in my time, I need to prepare the next generation because he could come back in their time. His, his return is always imminent. Yes, there are some other prophetical things that need to happen, but they could happen quickly. 
So we are constantly told, right, or let's say reminded by the words of Jesus, be ye therefore ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man comes. So we are literally in some cases on the edge of our seat, waiting for the trumpet to sound, knowing that these things are relevant. I'm going to give you one last verse and we'll be done. Look at 2 Thessalonians, please. Chapter 2. So why are these things immediately relevant for us? We, perhaps, perhaps the Antichrist is not on the world yet, in the world yet. He's not on the world scene. Perhaps he is. Perhaps he is. But maybe not. But I'll tell you what is happening right now. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. It's talking about the death of that Antichrist and then Satan can come into that man's body. Verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So what do you have a massive emphasis on in these last days, even amongst Christians, especially amongst Christians? Signs and wonders and, look, some sort of miracle. The world's getting swept up in that. The mystery of iniquity is already working. What is that mystery of iniquity? It's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is to turn you away from the true Jesus of the Bible and turn you towards him, the false Christ, offering a false peace. What will the Antichrist try to do? Unite the world, but not around the truth, around him. So what do we see emphasized? Let's just all get along. Peace by any means. World peace by any means. Listen. World peace by any means is not the end goal. World peace is the byproduct of righteousness and truth. Peace always follows righteousness. Study it in your Bible from the front to the back. When you see peace, look for righteousness before it. Righteousness, then peace. No righteousness, you don't have true peace. But the spirit of Antichrist, part of that is let's just get along. We don't need truth. We just have peace no matter what. We see that spirit already working. That's why we have the information about the end times so that we don't fall into this trap of the devil, this spirit of Antichrist. We stay true to the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ guiding us into all truth. That's what we want to stay with. All right, let's all stand. I've taken quite a bit of the time now. Let's stand. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for the information you've given us. And I, Lord, that some of this stuff gets deep and I believe it's important that we look at it and know about it. For the practical reason, Lord, we want to stay ready. We want to be able to instruct and warn others, Father, of that horrible time to come, that they might escape that time of wrath. Father, might they find their way into your loving arms today even. Bless now the fellowship and our service to come. In Jesus' name, amen.